G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. In this episode, we're talking to three fast-growing startups, each at a different stage of growth. We start with VinoMofo co-founders Justin Dry and Andre Eichmeyer, who had their backs against the wall before they found success. Then we'll speak to Anurag Chakradar about his startup, Blurt, which has caught the eye of some very big venture capitalists. Finally, we'll have a return visit from GoFar co-founders Ian Davidson and Danny Adams. They've just finished a crowdfunding campaign, and they'll tell us what they've learned through that effort. Startups big and small, but all growing fast on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Optus Innovate, providing support to the Australian startup community, and Newsmodo, providing quality, relevant, and timely news content. It's been said that Australians enjoy a good drop of wine, and I have to say that as a proud Australian, you can't tell from my accent maybe, that I definitely do enjoy a good drop, and in fact, I have to tell you that all my years in Australia have made me a bit of a wine snob. I was having a bottle of wine with none other than Jason Calacanis at the end of the launch conference. I was sitting at the table with all of the winners. Very nice bottle of Pinot gets opened up. I have a glass, and I'm like, yeah, that's okay. And I realized in that moment that Australia had profoundly reset my expectations for what I should get when I open up a bottle. I'm talking to two people today who really understand and have dived into that. Andre Eichmeyer and Justin Dry are the co-founders of VinoMofo. If you've been to their website, you know it's a cheeky little website where you can order wine. And it has mushroomed into one of Australia's most successful tech startups. And in a country where online retailing has been notably second rate, Vinomofo has a legion of loyal customers who have grown accustomed to ordering wine online. So, Andre, Justin, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Pleasure to hire be here. you after that. Wine Australia needs to hire you after that. Like, that was well played. Listen, you know, I lived in California for many years and got quite accustomed to really nice California wines. And then I came to Australia and you'd pop open these bottles of, well, okay, it's not plonk, but, you know, just sort of a mid-range Australian wine and I would be consistently blown away by them. And I, I feel... I became a real evangelist when I'd go see my friends in America. I'd go grab bottles of Australian wine and feed them. And they'd go, oh, my God, this is fantastic. So how did you turn this idea that Australian wines are really good into an actual retail business? What's the genesis of VinoMofo? And what's the genesis of the name? It's funny you say it's not actually about Australian wine. After that enormously good plug, and we were just having dinner last night at an Italian restaurant, just going, "Wow, we need to drink more Italian wine." So (laughs) just completely, you traitor! I know. I know. I feel so dirty. No, look, it's about wine that Australians want to drink more than Australian wine, and it just so happens that that, a fair chunk of that is Australian wine. Oh no, I'll allow a good New Zealand. They make very nice whites over there. Oh, look, I think there's a whole world of cool (laughs) wines, but you know, there's not as much access to them. But look. Wine was... So we started our business, which wasn't Vino Mofo. Justin and I are brothers-in-law, right? Mm-hmm. So we were actually drunk one Christmas in 2006. And, you know, um, we both just come from sort of places where we wanted to get do something interesting in, in wine. And we sort of... We were both talking about, gee, wine's full of 
full of wankers and it's it's conservative and it's elitist and it's not inclusive and it's sort of like they use a language that's unapproachable mm. and it's just kind of bow ties and BS and that was sort of <laughs> you know become that and we were like we're just a couple of guys in like you know t-shirts and sneakers with no money but we love good wine and I wonder if there's more people out there like this and we were sort of 30s then just in the early 30s me mid and, and I think that's what drove us to want to do something we are like well you know, Justin was like, well, I really, I love this thing called Facebook that I've just discovered. And, and I was like, I really like the idea of people, like the, the, the voice of, of, of the people and of customers. And so we brought these ideas together and created what was the first social wine site, which was really just a community where we all crapped on about wine. Right. But that was the beginning. Because I remember at some it. point, and I don't remember this as, you know, mofo, but people would sort of do live unbottlings and then live tweet as they yeah. were. Yeah. Well, this, we, was, this was you guys, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember us. this because it was amazing <laughs> because someone would be having a really bad experience with a bottle. So, so you, 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 it would be happening line by line. So uh, you're one of the eight people that was watching us back then, I reckon. <laughs> no, I no, no, it, it went, it went all around Twitter. It, Twitter. <laughs> it did. It went It went all around Twitter. No, no, you probably one of our first successful ones. All right. But look, it was part of a movement, I think, around the world, and we touched base with different people around the world, but it was really about this wine doesn't have to be elitist and right. can be about great wines, but just keep it real. So that was at the heart of... That was probably really important. It took us a long time to figure is out. That, and is that where the name comes from? Because the name essentially takes the piss out of itself, right? Vino, Vino Mofo. Mofo. That's an interesting story. So <laughs> um, the, the name was originally going to be Vino Mojo, so okay. get Mojo working, that kind of thing. We'd gone down this whole thing, uh, built the site, done all the artwork, done the pre-launch campaign, had all these sign-ups. The Friday, or like two or three days before we were launching, yeah, we got a cease and desist from uh, a trademark attorney. Oh, I know what that's like. Yeah. I know exactly what that feels yes, like. especially when you've got no money to fight it. <laughs> no, no, no. I know exactly <laughs> what... And you've got collateral printed up. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. happened to Moore's Cloud. We were oh, going to wow. call it the Cloud Light, and all of a sudden we got a cease and desist yeah. just as we were launching. Did you fight it? How? Exactly. <laughs> so it goes our to lawyer, point. What, what our lawyer we said, we're going to settle up and here are the terms you're going to offer them. I was like, all right. Yeah. So uh, so we we were first, oh my God, what the hell do we do? We're so close to launch. Um, we did what we usually do when we're going through a challenging discussion um, problem. We opened some wine. <laughs> we, we, we had... We clarity. Gives clarity. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we, we had a few bottles a few bottles in. Um, we <laughs> were throwing around ideas and we're like, well, you know, we, we need to we need to keep it almost the same so we don't have to change everything, right. which I'm not sure if you were thinking the same process. But um, we're like, oh, how do we... So Vino Moto, Vino Modo. And then... And then Two, three the heavens bottles. open. Yeah, and then two or three bottles in, I said, why don't we call it Vino Mofo for the mother <laughs> that stole our mojo? <laughs> and then then everyone's like, ha-ha, laughing, it's really funny. We can't, can we? And they're like, maybe we could. And then we went, oh, we'll just do it for a couple of months. We'll do it for a couple of months. It'll be a great PR story. We'll be able to say, it's for the mofos that stole our mojo. It'll be really fun. Everyone will be on the... It'll be in on the joke. Yeah. Um, who get in early, it'll be amazing. And... Um, just never changed. <laughs> it kind of it, it's easy to remember. Yeah, and it kind of made us stand out, and it and it fit in with what we wanted to say anyway. Yeah. Um, and this whole vernacular built around that, mm -hmm. um, and it was really cheeky and fun. So it, we just kind of stuck with it. And funnily enough, two we decided not to fight it. And these guys were like a like a public company, and they threw their solicitors at it, and they were doing everything they could. And we decided, oh, we're not going to fight. We don't have any money. Forgot about it. 
occasionally we get like these files of like you know legal files about here's why you can't do it. I'm like why are they still sending these we don't know um put that aside two years later two years later we get a letter saying congratulations you won <laughs> <laughs> so we, we actually own vino mojo and vino mofo <laughs> All right, well, that could be the side brand. That could be the brand in, in niches. Andre where, wanted to change it back. <laughs> well, there, there, there may be nations such as North America, if you ever go into the American market, where that actually might be considered a little bit beyond the pale. Do you think? Uh, Americans are very sensitive, you know. I am descended from generations of Puritans, <laughs> as are many Americans. Awesome. And so there are certain sensitivities in that country. It's, just, it's good to keep your powder dry on that, yeah. right? You have another brand. It's very close. You'll be fine. <laughs> All right, so how did how long did it take the business to start to take off? When did you know that you had a success on your hands? Well, that sort of depends on your perspective. So back in 2007, two of us in a garage with this other business that we tried, and it sort of we tried four, four, four different significant sort of products and pivots, if you like, on that, that none of them worked. They just none of it got traction with people. We, we, so we to try. things, things other than wine. No, no, all wine. But like you know, it started as this social site for wine, and then that wasn't. No one was paying us to do that, and no one wanted to pay to join. It was all free. We got traction around. Built a tribe because they believed in what we stood for as well, and they they identified with that. But there was no revenue model. There wasn't solid business model. We we got into like content, so we bought a combi and travelled around the country and filmed these stories, and again got a bit of sponsor for that but no one really knows serious revenue model we got into mobile technology and did like this checking out we're just trying stuff right. you know and and then Vina Mofa was like oh, we, we back we like we've got no money we've had no money for four years this is absolutely backs against the wall sort of stuff and then you know and Justin's so, idea of let's do a wine deal site but when we so but it was the one that which I didn't like at first, the idea of, by the way, we'll go into that. But it was the one that literally day one worked and then a week in worked. So, yes, it worked straight away and, we, and immediately saw traction, but I think it worked because we had... We had You'd built we up audience. Something and we had right. a, an audience that trusted us. That was kind of the key behind it. But for us, that was a realisation of, all right, so we're finally honouring this idea of, value to people mm. we're finally going okay before we were like oh, here's an example we were like on a porn set we were like the fluffers well I guess someone's <laughs> sort of excited no, there we go with me on this not, not too far but you know we get someone excited and, and then we go so here's a great wine they go love it where can I get it oh not from us sorry you gotta go to wherever right. Dan Murphy's or whatever yep. to get yeah, you were able to service. close. Basically, the call to action, you were, you were able to answer. We were able to go, here's point. a great wine, and here it is. We'll make yeah. it easy for you. And that was just honoring this thing of what do people want to do. They don't want to just talk about wine. They want to be sitting back on their veranda drinking the freaking wine. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I just want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Optus Innovate. They've been providing funding to Australian startups and support to the entire startup community. They're led by Alfred Lowe and the whole Optus Innovate team are awesome to work with. They have been big supporters of things like Fish Burners, where we record the show, Innovation Bay, and lots of events. You'll see their banner because they're in there providing support. Optus Innovate are also one of the active local corporate VCs, and they're looking for Series A investment opportunities. Outside of investment, Optus Innovate can also help connect your startup with Optus for partnership or business development and anything else you need. Find out more at optusinnovate.com.au. 
We're back talking to Andre Eichmeyer and Justin Dry, the founders of Vino Mofo. All right. What kept you going through all of the years and all of the pivots until you actually found a model that worked for you? That's a good question. Yeah, because there's a lot of tough days. <laughs> um, I think we truly believed in what we were doing and that we were smart enough to work it out. And if we gave ourselves enough time, we would come up with the right solution. We'd come up with the right product. Also, we couldn't, we couldn't stand the thought of going to work for anyone else again. <laughs> Probably those yeah. two things. And also because Andre married my sister. So right. um, when we had a couple of tough Christmases, like, you know, the first tough Christmas when we had, had absolutely no money and my beautiful sister Jody, who, you know, obviously because her um, husband was working with me, we'd, I'd kept poor in some sense yeah. for the last couple of years. It's said, his fault. Yeah, really my fault. Um, and and Jody said... Um, pulled me aside because Andre's so positive and optimistic about everything um, and said Justin can you just tell me the truth is it going to be okay by next Christmas and I gave him my word that it would be so I can't, we just had no choice but to keep going <laughs> keep marching forward and then that Christmas came around and right. it wasn't much better <laughs> no, it was quite serious we made, she made me make a promise because she was like alright we've been in this for three years now mm. and at some stage and also we were smart guys so this was quite frustrating mm. I'd had a few failed businesses before teeing up with Justin and I was beginning to think am I like cursed like how, how come I'm a smart guy and I can't make a freaking business work. Because most businesses fail. I mean, this is the thing. We always hang ourselves up for why doesn't it work while well, most yeah. businesses actually don't. It's, and that's okay. But we hit this Christmas... But we'd had our percentages. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we'd done the 80%. <laughs> and we actually made a promise. I made a promise to my wife and she said three months. I said, just yeah. believe in us. I really poured it on, you know. Just back us, believe us for three months. If not, we hit March and it hasn't changed. We'll, go, we'll both give it in. We'll go and get a job. That's fine. I've had plenty of job offers. Could do a good job. March came and went and nothing had changed and we didn't give in. And no, no, I like to think we were noble and we really persevered. To be honest, it was just a bit of stubbornness and a refusal. Mm. Come on. No, I refuse to make a decision on this and make a call on this. And then, look, two months after that, um, we got our, an angel investor for 200 grand that allowed us to breathe and keep going for a while. That didn't end up being the thing that made it work. But, you know, there were little things like that. There mm. were moments where those you should quit and kind of didn't through stubbornness or whatever. Right. Um, well, entrepreneurs up- have this beautiful ability to refuse to see reality, <laughs> which I think it would be impossible, and I'm yeah. speaking from my own experience, yeah, know, it would be tell. impossible to do it if you didn't have that capacity. It here. would, but I think most people fail if they... The tenacity, if it's head in the sand tenacity or blinkers on and I truly believe that this will work, I think that's as damaging. For us, it was... Yeah, but eyes and ears open. Look around. Something needs to change. Let's listen to our tribe. Let's look at what's happening around the world. Something needs to change. And that's why it worked. And that's largely thanks to Justin, not me. That's why it worked. Not just the tenacity. I think tenacity on its own kills a lot of startups. So it's tenacity plus awareness is what you're saying. Okay. So here's the thing. You are now in an online retail business in Australia. Australia is pretty much the redheaded stepchild of online online retailing. <laughs> so what was it like to say, okay, we're going to do an online retailing business in a country that is notoriously bad at them? We, we probably didn't know that. <laughs> you, hang on, do you have facts on it? No, we didn't come from retail. So we came from wine online and moved to retail. So it was never a question of, 
if retail, then why online? It was more if online, then how about retail? Because maybe the only way to make money in, 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 in wine is by selling a freaking bottle, you know, rather than just talking about it. So it really came from that place. Okay, so you decide you're going to go into retail, but now you're actually confronted with all of the issues that confront online retail. You know, and the big one that always pops up is the logistics question, right? Uh, and wine is expensive and heavy and, and delicate. Fragile, yeah. You got it. So how do you solve that problem? Well, well, funnily enough, we had this conversation about five minutes before we got here. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> so and you're still solving the problem. It's our big thing. So yeah. it's, it's, our, our it's been a problem since the start, and it's still a problem. We've got better at it, um, and we will get a lot better at it. Yeah. But do you see, is there a space for, is there an opportunity space for other startups to come in and actually fix that problem? So I had yes. so James Chinmoody was on the sofa earlier talking about Sendal. He's which, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're just yeah. doing a collaboration with Sendal. Okay, I was, yeah. I'm hoping that was going to be the case. It's awesome. We love yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. But it's a C to C. Look, like Justin's saying, you can create, you can disrupt the space in Metro. Absolutely. Short distances, concentration of people. There's a disruption there waiting to happen and some people are starting to do it. But to get it around the country, 40% of our customers are in areas that are hard to get to and really only serviced by some... Um, My Ozpost, basically. Some version of Ozpost. Right. Yeah. And some right. last mile Three contractor of Ozpost. Right. Yeah. Which would make sense because they do not have access to a good wine shop, right? That's the thing. If you're way out in the middle of nowhere, yep, you're even more important to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. There are fewer viable alternatives. But it's hard. And, and we definitely... Look, it's the thing, isn't it? I think when you outsource something, mm. we generally, and without without ego here we generally think that if we do something ourselves we do it better than most it's just hopefully that's the way you are as a startup otherwise you probably don't survive but it's the thing we haven't done ourselves right it's the difficult expensive probably hard to be profitable around it doing it yourself but we've relied on uh, outsourcing it to people that just ultimately don't care as much as you do. Mm. I think this is the danger with any startup outsourcing. It's convenient because you don't have the resources to do anything yourself, so you outsource. But I think but the trade-off is they don't care. Yeah, the trade-off is it's the it's yeah. the it's the you're not delivering. And we've got such a good customer experience. We pride ourselves on it. Well, and this is this, this people have been raving at me. I mean, you have fans. You don't just have customers. You guys have fans, which is like, that is the best possible relationship. All right. You're moving alcohol around. Now, how is that? So do you have to actually deal with a whole bunch of compliance and regulation that's associated with that? And how did you manage to sort of deal with that? Yeah. Because you're crossing state lines. Presumably, that's all then federal regulation you have to deal with and things like this. Yeah, liquor licensing is a bit sad yeah. in Australia because it was off the back of it was like there were pubs and hotels and this is how liquor licenses came about. So mm. there were there were physical locations and they were state government things. And so when you know direct to consumer online mm. retail emerged and people are delivering things all around the country, licenses were still state based, but they were based from where you were sending it from, not to the people. So it was this stupid mix that had organically grown, and so this license was crap. And also they were working on changing. Oh, my God, what if a 15-year-old gets a case yes, of wine? Of course. And so for a while there... there oh, were, my God. There hoops like that. A 15-year-old with a really great case of yeah, wine. Yeah, yeah. What if a 15-year-old yeah. gets a case yeah. of Ben Bolson Henry? Yeah. <laughs> but it was... Look, so there were definitely hoops, and there's definitely stuff that you have to deal with with that. And, and again, but it's also... It's around that sort of someone needing to be home. And, and again, the, the whole delivery thing, this is with everything. Mm. So much effort goes into... You know, if we can't deliver something to you, 
Where else can you go and pick right. it up from? Whereas, how about you just freaking deliver it in the evenings or early in the mornings on the weekend? The whole idea of how people want to receive things has to change. Right. And this is, you know, there's so much around that as we move to a culture where people are getting things ordered and delivered. Instantly. Yeah. Right. That's the whole, there's a whole turnaround. This, I mean, we're now seeing people who are doing the refrigerated pickup boxes or, you know, storage boxes. Like, you don't want to leave wine lying out in the sun on someone's porch in the summertime. No. There's a whole bunch of things that you, you need to think about because you have a product that is not just expensive and heavy and, and fragile, uh, fragile but it's delicate. Yeah. And perishable, yeah, no, all yeah. of those things. It's perfect product. Oh, really, thanks for bringing up just the hair day part of our business. It's all about culture. We, we right. own that. But, but the fact that you can live with that headache that's also the barrier to entry to someone else coming along yep. and doing this right so presumably your solutions to this are going to be your points of excellence, yeah, and also, and you need tremendous volume to get to a point where they're actually feasible. All right, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about this. How big is the business now? Uh, run rate of thirty-five million. Um, we will do. We did thirty mil in la- in this financial year. It'll be about thirty mil. Right. But run rate of thirty-five, and it's going up by five to ten percent a month. It's like three hundred thousand customers. Right. Okay. So that means that. So if it's thirty-five mil this year, that means next year we're actually probably looking at closer to sixty. It's going to basically. We're, 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 we're pretty optimistic. One hundred next year. We're ramping up. Right. Our awareness. And how how are you going to ramp up? Uh, well, just we're actually working. We've actually been in a, a month of meeting creative agencies to sort of work out, just approach this idea strategically. Of we've always, probably really rightly, we've always approached marketing like, well, how about you just get the product and the customer experience right, mm-hmm. and then trust that people will tell their friends. And that's worked really well for us. This year we've spent a bit on digital like marketing, but it's been really pretty simple stuff. Here's a here's a deal. Mm-hmm. You should get it if you like wine. Mm-hmm. So now we're sort of going, and yet we so. People that use us rave, rave about us, like you said, which is really awesome and an honour. But we're still, if I'm in a room, like I'm, I'm got a speech to Optus this afternoon. There'll be 1,200 people in there, and we might have 30 customers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Might be a bit more than that, but we're sort of like, wow, what you want is so 300. Yeah. Well, and there might be another 500 people in there yeah. that we'd be really useful to, yeah. and they really love us, and they'd love to buy wine from us. So we're like, right, well, we need to reach these people faster. So sure. we're just. But gonna- if you're doing that, then you're not a 30 million dollar company; you're a 300 million dollar company. That's what we want to do. So. How do you get from here to there? In other words, I guess, and I, I want to make this my closing question: How do you deal with the growth? If you're growing this fast, how do the two of you, as founders, manage that kind of growth? Get really smart people around us. <laughs> has, has that been easier? Has that been hard? Uh, we're putting way, um, way more effort into kind of senior level mm-hmm. hires at the moment. Mm-hmm. So CMOs, CFOs, that type of high level. That's um, new for us. That's really new for us because yeah. we, you know, we started in garage, so we did everything. Yeah. And then we hired great people, and our team's incredible. We've got sixty-five people now. Um, absolutely amazing team. And now we're, we're realizing for us to get from where we are to where we want to go. We need super, super, super smart people around the table deciding and helping with our strategy discussions. And I suspect with the story that you've just told, that recruiting those people is going to be pretty easy. So, Andre, Justin, thank you very much for coming on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you so much for having us. See Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I want to take a moment to tell you about a project I've been working on for a while that's really close to my heart. For the past few years, I've been giving folks a lot of advice on how to crowdfund. You'll be hearing from Ian and Danny a little further in this episode, and I actually gave them the best advice that I could. 
I've learned a lot from my own crowdfunding. I've learned a lot from watching other people crowdfund. And I've learned how to pass that advice along to others. I'd like to pass the secrets of successful crowdfunding along to you. I'm leading seminars in both Sydney and Melbourne that will teach you where to find your backers, how to set your goals, and how to plan and execute a successful crowdfunding campaign. Crowdfunding is the new way to bring your startup to life. Find out more at markpesci.com slash crowdfunding. So a few weeks ago, venture capitalist Adeo Ressi was in town. He's pretty well known. He was the motivating force behind the Founders Institute. And he's certainly doing everything that he can to train up the next generation of entrepreneurs. And he's not just doing that in America because there are founder institutes here in Sydney and Melbourne. I believe there's one in Perth. They're through Asia as well. What I had heard was that when he was here and he was having bunches of meetings and bunches of sessions with investors and with entrepreneurs is that Adeo was actually being a little bit brutal when he was assessing some of the ideas being pitched to him. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But when I met up with him, he said, Mark, Mark, there's only one startup that I've seen here in Australia that I think is interesting. And that's that's pretty high praise from Adeo. So I reckoned I should grab the founder of that startup, Anurag Chakradar, for a quick interview. Anurag, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. It's great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. So... What does your startup do that's impressed Adeo so much? That's really great to hear those words um, through you uh, from Adeo. It was very interesting to to meet him, actually. He's obviously a big mover and shaker in Silicon Valley, and um, he sees so many pitches day in and day out. But, yeah, Blurt, um, it's really... Um, the age of collaboration that we live in and all these great things are happening because people from all different places are collaborating and communicating with each other. But really the insight that I always had was that real progress in communicating between humans happens when we meet face to face because the, the since day one of people communicating with each other we've used our voice and our hands together and so when we, when you're saying something and at the same time pointing at something and maybe scribbling over something there's a lot of communication that right. happens now over the years we've created a lot of different technology to communicate um, but each one seems to be created to c- overcome one impediment or another mm-hmm. like with email you shift time and you can shift place as well but all emotion is lost because you know you may spend 20 minutes writing a long email but the other person might still think you know you're rude Um, you have video conferencing where you can see the person and hear them but you have to be available at the same time so you're not shifting uh, which is always problematic when you're dealing with time zones exactly and so I thought I've run a digital marketing agency for over 10 years and increasingly we're working with people from around the world, uh, both clients and distributed teams who are working on these projects. And I thought that what we collaborate on are static elements like documents, websites, and images. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is to talk over them. And as you're talking, maybe zoom in to point at a particular thing or scribble over something. But there's real, no real way to do that. Even in a live scenario, there wasn't a way to do that, uh, let alone in an asynchronous fashion. Which is funny because you kind of think of the kinds of tools that designers use, Photoshop, InDesign, whatever it might be, Dreamweaver. And 
none of these tools really have that kind of capacity baked into them, do they? They they have this capacity to allow a creator to be create, but they don't really have this idea that there's other people involved in the collaboration around that creative act. They don't. You're exactly right. And this is the big need that we need to fill, and which is why we don't look at Blurt as an app. We look at it as a platform. And from day one, we've created an API which allows Blurt to connect with any other system um, because our main focus is enabling asynchronous collaboration between people or whichever tool they're using. So, but now it is literally an app now. And when I use that app, what happens? I bring I bring the documents that I'm working on into it. I can capture some video of myself talking about these documents, and then I can send that blurt to someone who sort of gets these documents plus my comments about them. Is that how it works? You're very very close. So yeah, so it's interesting to see you use the word video here, and and that's that's what happens. We connect um, when we come across new innovation we, we, we connect it to the the, the ideas and, and things that currently exist mm-hmm. um, and so when when I first had this idea a few years ago again the first thought was video um, somehow we do a screen capture video wherein you you're doing your voice but you're also capturing what's happening on the screen but then that's a video is not a conversation what a video is is a lump you create a lump and you maybe upload it somewhere someone downloads it right. but they don't then easily respond to it mm-hmm. and so what going back to the notion that you collaborate over static objects like documents, images, and websites. So what we did with Blurt was to keep those objects static um, and then record your voice, but in sync with your voice, record all your hand gestures like pointing, flipping pages, zooming as as vector data. So it's and, it's like a sound track in a way, right? I mean, it, it's kind of like that. It's an activity track, but a sound that's like the equivalent of a soundtrack on a movie. You, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And, but, but then what this allows you to do is um, so going back to your question about what do you actually do in the app because the way to, for people to use this thing is to download the app right. either on iOS or on Android right. and we've got, and they can do that already they can do that it's open in all countries right. now already so we'll, we'll make sure that on the Tumblr there's a link to that all right. excellent so it's it's blurred without the user it's blrt.com to to get those links um, so when you fire up the app you select you collect the media that you want to talk about and because this is all about communication we don't say you're making a PDF blurt or a, or a web Website blurt. You can collect images, web pages, and documents all in the one conversation. All right. So, so this brings me to a, a next question, which is: Who would use a blurt? Who are the the typical people? I mean, I can clearly think that designers would be using blurt, but and I presume that because you're from an agency background, that this was something you thought of to solve your own pain points. But who else besides designers would be using a blurt? Yeah, and so, so what, we, what we've done with Blurt is we seeded the system with a few hundred of our contacts, and right. that's become a few thousand people uh, o- over a few months. We haven't kick-started marketing, but people are just sending Blurts to each other, and it's just so interesting to see what sort of people are picking it up. So we've got a, a, a bunch of vets using this in Queensland to talk over x-rays of dogs. Ah, all right. So you've taken the dog in. They have a weird problem. They have an x-ray. The vet doesn't know what's going on. He sends it off to another vet. 
or she sends it off to another vet and yeah absolutely and so, and so the problem it's really solving for them is that vets are really busy they're in surgery the other p- person might be in surgery at the right. time so they're constantly playing phone tag because blurred is asynchronous uh, so the first vet takes uh, a photo of the x-ray if they don't already have the x-ray as a file uh, presses record starts talking over it zooming pointing at the problem area saying hey can you please give me your advice on this how should I tackle this the other vet is in surgery um, she comes out maybe 30 minutes later views the blurt hits reply and says yep I would tackle it like this and so you're shifting both time and place while delivering this video like experience at 25 to 50 times less bandwidth consumed than high quality video right, which means I'd be able to use it anywhere if I'm out in the field using a mobile and I have access to 3G then I'm going to be able to use it just as well as if I have broadband absolutely and and Blurt only transmits what needs to be transmitted so when you hit, hit Blurt reply on a conversation that's already ongoing it will use a very small amount of data to, to actually send your reply up to the cloud and all conversations live in the cloud so you're not ever attaching files and sending emails it's all cloud based conversations yeah I I showed that to one of my dev friends and they actually thought that was the cleverest part of this that because everything lives in the cloud essentially all the apps are just sort of front ends to this big pile of cloud data that you've got there you're exactly right and so what we do is we encrypt everything so your your hand gestures and your original static elements and and the voice um, and and they they're stored in the cloud but they can be consumed in various ways so we've got obviously Android and iOS for consumption and creation but we've got a web play are coming out just in a few weeks and we demoed that today to a team of people who, who've actually got 7 million users in their system. It's very exciting times. Um, so they're looking at how they can integrate Blurt into their system. Mm-hmm. Um, but the web player will evolve into a full web creation process as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, as a communication sort of medium, we cannot be exclusive. We have to be on every platform and we're going to deliver that in the coming months. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, I guess then it sounds like you're just sort of exiting beta and you're just about to hit the market. What do you actually see as a go-to-market strategy here? You know, how do you actually get this tool out and who gets it first and why do they get it first? Yeah, so that, that's a, a typical conundrum for a startup that has wide appeal as to how do you go, uh, and especially when it's already yeah, out. And Which pe- low-hanging fruit do you go for? Yeah, we've, we've got mortgage brokers using it. We've got film people in Hollywood using it, right. all, all different well, types of people. Anyone who's doing site, sound loca- or site location scouting or anything like that. Too, Absolutely. Right? Yeah, they used yeah. to make videos and now this is so yeah. much faster for them. Yeah. Um, but look, our our expertise is in the marketing and advertising field and we have lots of connections and we know the pain points. So mm-hmm. we've said that and, and the real problem it, it solves is for people who work in the visual design industries because to, to explain an image on email is the worst thing you can ever do. You don't want to explain an image on an email. If you look at the upper right-hand corner of this image, what you'll see is, yeah. Yeah, it's blue, but it should really be slightly lighter blue. Uh, with Blurt, you take a photo of a flower and say, I want that blue. Right. Um, and so we're targeting the visual design people, but freelancers, because freelancers, A, they, they use mobile technology all the time. They don't have boardrooms. They work with lots of various different types of clients. They really value clarity in communications yeah. and speed of communication and so we're targeting the, the freelancers in the visual design industry wow i can see that this is going to be a really really big market i guess then for you as the founder and ceo what do you see as your biggest challenge to be able to execute that over the next year there are so many challenges we have all the standard challenges of 
um, of startups that work in niches, but we need to deliver this across different verticals because it has the applications across everything. We mm. need to find the integrations with existing incumbent players in, in their various industries. Um, our biggest challenge now that we are out is to gather momentum and speed and deliver very, very quickly, deliver large numbers of users um, and deliver the the user experience that they re- really need, what Blurt promises, talk point and draw over anything um, in an asynchronous fashion. Um, we need to grow really quickly. And, and that's one of the challenges of being in, in Australia and, and working within this the financial system here as well, is to um, kind of convince people, uh, different types of investors, that this thing is has immense scope it needs life to breathe right now and to deliver on real lots and lots of users let's not get stuck on how much revenue it can generate next month um, yes we've already got people paying for it and upgrading yeah. their accounts to use the freemium model right. but we need to really keep the development going and fires burning un, un, under the, de- the the development you're going to need investors who can think as big as you're, you're capable of growing. That, that is a challenge in, in Australia, definitely. Well, I think you have a fan in America, I'll tell you that. So, Anu, thank you very much for coming on This Week in Startups Australia, and good luck with Blurt. It's been fantastic. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Newsmodo. Newsmodo crafts stories of all kinds for news channels, publications, brands. They draw on the expertise of more than 14,000 contributors worldwide. Newsmodo helps brands connect with existing and new audiences through written and visual content. In 2015, news, reporting, and insight are no longer just the domain of traditional media. Forward-thinking marketing managers and brands leverage the power of Newsmodo's journalistic platform to deliver compelling stories, to deliver insights and perspectives across owned, earned, and paid media. Learn more at Newsmodo.com. I had to go back into the archives to look for show number two on This Week in Startups Australia. And I had with me on that show the co-founders of a company called GoFar, Ian Davidson and Danny Adams. And one of the joys over the last almost a year-ish has been watching the two of them go from a little two-person team to what is now, I don't know, some sort of multi-headed hydra with many people with many jobs doing many things and actually getting their product which we'll talk about in a second, ready for the market and most importantly, ready for a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. And a month ago, they went live on that campaign with a goal of $50,000, a goal that they passed in the first three days. I have them back here in the studio to talk to you today because I have a whole bunch of questions. The campaign ended more or less 25, 26 hours ago. It's probably still fresh in their minds. I can tell you, and we will take pictures, they look really tired. So Ian, Danny, welcome back as our first return guests on This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. So what did it feel like when you knew it was done? I mean, both when you knew you'd reached your goal, but at the end of the campaign, how did that feel? Felt a little a little lost temporarily straight after the campaigns. I had nothing to to check repeatedly. 
And this is, of course, that's always the big temptation when you're doing a, a crowdfunding campaign, as I know, is to just sort of hit the refresh mm. button. Why isn't anyone buying anything? Why isn't any? That was, yeah, that was the first thing I did this morning when I woke up. I woke up in a panic because I'd slept for over eight hours. Uh, and I thought, I thought it was the middle of the day and it was seven in the morning. <laughs> Uh, and then the first thing I did was reach for my mobile to see what the total was. And it was it was exactly the same as yesterday, obviously. <laughs> and that total was? Um, I, I forget the details, but it was $160,150. <laughs> that sounds like it's pretty accurate. Uh, and I have to disclose to our listeners that five of those dollars were mine. Not because I'm cheap, but because I do not own an automobile to put the lovely go far widget in what's the the name of the widget is um well we're calling the the display that sits on your on your dash is ray that's right but the thingy that goes into the we haven't come up with anything better than dongle yet we would like a better name but that seems to be the industry name for these telematics devices is a dongle so listeners if you do have a better name for the gofar dongle please do mail it to us or tweet us or tweet them and and we'll take it under advisement we'd be pleased with that <laughs> very pleased <laughs> all right so i think it was just literally the two of you there might have been a couple more people when i talked to you last year and when you launched the campaign last month it was a literally a room full of people How how many people do you have working now? Well, we've, we've got, there are five, well, four full-time. Right. Um, five pretty full-time. Um, and we so had... So 80 hours a week and 40 hours yeah, a week, respectively. Yeah. It, does, it does depend how you count full-time, right. actually. Yeah, fair point. We had, uh, we probably peaked um, with, with all the assorted helpers mm. um, um, and part-time team at about 14 or 15. So uh, we hit 16, in fact. Did we? Yes. Okay. So, okay, so 16 people. What was it like all of a sudden having to manage a huge team like that? Or, or was it just a sort of frog in hot water? Did you just heat up gradually to that? It, it's been a bit of a gradual progression to get there, although during the Kickstarter campaign we did have a, a bit of an influx. We had a few interns helping us. I think, was it three three interns that came on board um to to help out with that so uh it, it has it has worked up worked up gradually but it's uh it, it's all worked together very well yeah with, with the extra people i i have to say just as a first level notation and, and i'll link to this from the tumblr but your video is by far the best kickstarter video i've ever seen and I'm wondering how much work went into making a Kickstarter video that I think is not just an argument for you should give money to this, these guys because they've got a cool product, but it seems like you should be able to take that to almost anyone anywhere who's thinking of using it and just show them the video and they'll understand what the value proposition is. So it's like you almost hit two birds with one stone with that. Yeah, you want you definitely want these things, the the marketing effort that goes into this, to have longevity, to be reusable. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, and the PR as well that you get, right. um, the thought process that you go through describing your product and working out, you know, which bits are most relevant for which which different segments um, is is also a very useful um, part of this. But the the video was great. We it was actually our third effort. Mm. Um, so it was I think the final the third one was called um, Go Father Three, um, and it was done by um, 
yeah, a, a trained civil engineer. Um, so he did a fantastic job. He's very much a polymath, um, mm. Ed. Um, he's running his own business as well. Um, very creative guy. Uh, understood the science behind GoFar as well, which is pretty important. I don't think we would have got that from anyone else. Um, just and, and was able to express it in really beautiful terms in terms of the animation that was used so that you see, for people who haven't seen it, you see Danny and white screen all these beautiful calculations and animations flowing around him which are really showing you the maths but in a very tangible way mm, absolutely and don't forget the lab coat yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. it's danny in a lab coat yeah. absolutely yeah. Essential, which is, it's coat. absolutely essential and did you were you it wasn't just a lab coat. <laughs> yeah. yeah um uh, but he yeah so and ed was able to bring in some of his contacts as well um so luke simshauser was uh, did a lot of the animation mm. and he's done a lot of sort of high-end work and i think when that's one of the things that we found was that it sort of starts with danny you know 18 months ago um i came on board and more people have come on board and as you bring other you know as other people start supporting the project um everyone has their own supporters um, mm. and the thing kind of blossoms and that's incredibly helpful and you don't necessarily know if that's going to happen so you're, you're very thankful and grateful when it does so I'm, I'm hearing just to sort of feed it back to you that in fact the process of actually getting yourself ready to do a crowdfunding campaign is in fact a growth a, a good growth process for a startup to go through that it helps you refine your messaging but it also helps you build the the personnel infrastructure and the relationships that actually make a company go yeah a absolutely um it's a galvanizing process yeah. uh so when you're when you're doing a startup you're always trying to develop and you're always trying to have milestones but you know one month can blend into the last into mm -hmm. the next to some extent and a kickstarter is is just a way to have a mountain to climb that you cannot avoid and you cannot go around um and it forces you to do things that you probably wouldn't normally do um so you, you know you everyone's got assets that they don't realize they've got they've got you know friends family supporters that you don't talk to um and this sort of forces you to realize you know that you do have that in your back pocket and you can bring that out so yeah that's it's been a very useful process that so you now have how many customers brand um, new shiny customers again i forget the details but i think it's 1208 so 1200 customers now what and have eight, you all eight. 1208 customers well i'm one of them and i'm not, I'm not going to be very and seven. i think so uh, what have you already learned from them? They're not all the same. Um, so some people are very keen on the on the the, the fuel saving side. Mm. Some people are just interested to play with a new technology. Mm. Um, cars are very. I mean, one of the core sort of learnings we 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 had coming into this is that for such an expensive purchase cars are a bit of a mystery when it comes to the data they they definitely suck in a lot of money but you're not quite sure where it's going and why no and so, 50, 50 years ago that actually wouldn't have been the case people were i think a little bit more conversant cars were simpler in design and people were more conversant on how engines worked and how various yeah. parts of the car worked but i think you're absolutely right about that yeah i mean even in a garage now you might have someone who's specialist in one part of the yeah. car that doesn't deal with the other parts of the car and they're a mechanic um so yeah some people are very interested in the data some in the in the uh, the environmental side um and so that that's been interesting sort of just making sure that the message is is relevant mm. and clear um for everyone what was the the biggest surprise that showed up the one thing you went oh well, well we hadn't thought about that 
Um, I think to me the uh, the biggest surprise was, was not something I didn't hadn't thought of, but the the, the amount of support that we got from from the community from our community of mm-hmm. here at Fishburners and and uh, family friends, uh, it just everybody came out to to, to help, and I think um, it's not something that I was really expecting, um, and it it was quite amazing. I mean, there was a very nice feel because I was here for the launch and it, there was a very nice feel to that. I mean, it was quite crowded. There were a lot of people here. Um, I assume all your investors and whatnot were here to sort of watch the big moment, but it did have a very nice family-ish feel. There were kids here. There were little kids here. There were big kids <laughs> here. And it did have that. And Lots of big kids here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lots of big kids. And I, I wonder, now, now that you have that first 1,200 customers... And in some way, they're like family because they're now they're at the very beginning of the journey with you. How do you think that your customer relationships in the future will be reflected by the customer relationships that you've already had? How do you take this forward or are those customers after this different? Are these customers special? Um, the I think they're, they're, they're quite special in that um, they're going to be coming along on the ride with us mm-hmm. to from from today to the time that we deliver the the product uh, the, the product to which is when have you promised that uh, November okay so the, the first the first units will be delivered in November so that they're really their input is going to be really important in defining some of the finer details of, of that product so uh, in that in that way they're quite important and I realize we've gotten almost to the end of the interview and I haven't asked either of you to tell us what it does because I'm expecting all our listeners to know but one of you give me the one line pitch um, GoFire gives you intuitive feedback um, on your driving that helps you improve your driving so that you can save money reduce emissions um, and um, yeah, drive safer and with the product pitch like that who wouldn't buy it and <laughs> I guess I guess that's what's worked well Ian Danny thank you very much for coming back congratulations and continued success Thanks very much, Thank you Mark. so much, Mark. Hi, it's Mark Pesci again. I want to share with you some of what Adeo Ressi told me on his recent trip to Australia. He reckons that we are six to eight years behind what's going on in Silicon Valley. Why? Well, everything here is less mature. Every element of the startup ecosystem. And really, there's no reason why this should be the case. We aren't stupid here. We have the same capacity to create and sustain a vibrant startup ecosystem. But Adeo thinks that we need to lift our game. He thinks we need to put in a lot more effort if we expect the kinds of results that they're already seeing on the other side of the Pacific. I look at VinoMofo. I look at Blurt. Look at GoFar. I see that kind of effort being put in by founders who understand the business they're in and understand where they're going. Those are the kinds of startups we need to see lots more of. And if you're an entrepreneur, you should be taking your lessons from those folks. They know how to grow. Now, if you want to see some photos of our guests, and you'll see a very funny photo of Ian and Danny looking very, very tired. If you want to see a link to a feisty interview that Adeo Ressi conducted with the Australian Financial Review, well, drop by our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Check it all out.
Big thanks to sponsors Optus Innovate and Newsmoto. Their support is making this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Warmoth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that's a joy to listen to. Thanks to Justin Dry and Andre Eichmeyer of Vinomofo, Anurag Chakradar of Blurt, and Ian Davidson and Danny Adams of GoFar for making the time to come on our show. We'll be back in a fortnight with another one of our news panel specials. We will be discussing some of the seismic changes to the Australian startup community as revealed in this year's federal budget. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.